Welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. And today we'll be discussing, first, is abortion really a losing issue for Republicans? Then we'll discuss how Hopkins County Public Schools won't be going back now till August 30th. Already the date has been moved back several times. We'll talk about why. And then speaking of schools, we'll finally end up on JCPS has announced when they might be returning to schools. We'll have all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Before we get into that, please make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, spread the word about the podcast. As always, if you're listening on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, make sure you like, you follow the page, you subscribe to the page. And if you're on Facebook and Twitter, please retweet it, share it, comment on it, uh, spread the word out there. This podcast does reach, every episode reaches thousands of people. Trust me, I see the analytics. We could be spreading the information that Kentuckians need to hear about Kentucky issues. So please like, comment, share, subscribe. And if you're listening to this on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube and you want to be able to take it on the go, you can always listen on Spotify, Apple, or all other major podcasting platforms. And if you are listening on those major podcasting platforms, please leave us a review. I've seen our reviews going up. Thank you all. Of course, there's some lefties leaving one-star reviews on the podcast, so I need you who like the podcast to leave a five-star review on it. So that way we can throw off that algorithm, make sure we can raise the rating of this. Or if you don't think it's a five-star podcast, well, just don't leave a review because nobody wants your opinion. Anyways, without uh, much more delay, let's dig down into it. So is abortion really a losing issue for Republicans? And the reason why this has become a conversation is because obviously people are pointing at Ohio issue one. Now, what was issue one? Issue one was a measure that would make it to where, so Ohio must like Kentucky uh, has a, the way you make a change to the uh, state constitution is that the legislators of course have to pass the bill, quote unquote, to put the amendment on the ballot. And then individuals can, I believe in Ohio, you can also petition an amendment onto the ballot. You don't have to wait on the legislators uh, to do it in Ohio. But anyways, so you can get the amendment on the ballot and then uh, at least 50% of the people voting on that have to approve it. And then it will be uh, approved and becomes a part of the constitution. And what the issue one that they were voting on actually dealt with was, um, the moving that threshold. I just said you need 50% of voters to agree or 50.1% of voters to approve a measure. Well, this would move that to 60% would lift the threshold in order to change the constitution. And this was billed as a way to defend against uh, uh, changes of abortion. It was, it was about abortion. There was somehow this was billed as, and I'm not, I don't live in Ohio. So if you listen to this podcast and you live in Ohio, um, you probably know a lot more and I might be slaughtering how somehow it was billed this way. But apparently the, the Republicans were in favor of it uh, and the Democrats were against it because it would, quote unquote, protect the Constitution against uh, abortion rights being shoved in there. And so it was billed as an abortions issue and it failed. And people point at that to say, well, that means it's a losing issue or take Kentucky's own Second Amendment. Uh, a vote that took place there in 2022. And that 
uh, vote failed, and that was on the ballot, was an amendment to make uh, say there was no right to an abortion in our Constitution. There's already in our Constitution said had nothing about abortion in it, but was clarifying for our state Supreme Court that they cannot read into the Constitution a right to abortion that otherwise doesn't exist. And people point at those amendments failing and say that clearly abortion is a losing issue for Republicans. But I think they're, they're wrong there. And, I, and this is why. I think it's not abortion's a losing issue for Republicans. The losing part is these rank-and-file Republicans don't know how to communicate their message. They are absolutely awful at it when compared to the Democrats. And it's quite clear that, you know, Democrats rely on an emotional messaging that uh, draws up more from people than a, a messaging about uh, anything, than, than a factual messaging. Recently, we've been hearing this song by Oliver Anthony getting a lot of attention in it. He essentially is calling for benefits reform that individuals who are obese and overweight shouldn't be able to buy more uh, fatty and horrible items uh, on our tax dollars. And everybody agrees with that for the most part. But however, those same people who are, hear that and say, yeah, that's wrong, when benefits reform is presented to them and the Democrats come out and say that, well, Republicans just want people to die and people to go hungry, those same people who resonate to it may vote against it. On top of that as well, you have to remember, uh, when it comes to constitutional amendments, there's a bias to not change things. And my initial bias on this, when I first heard about the amendment, uh, and, and I didn't know much about it, I didn't know it was a part of an abortion thing, I just saw kind of some people on Facebook that I'm friends with that live in Ohio with different takes on it and, and just kind of reading it, my initial reaction was, well, yeah, I would... I, I don't think we should change the voting threshold. Why, why do we want to change it? It's worked this way for this long. Why would we change it? And then, you know, you have the explanation, well, it's about abortion vote and everything else. And I don't know, it depends on how it was sold to me, if that would be enough to make me want to permanently change the Constitution uh, based upon one issue. And I know some of you are like, what are you talking about? I, 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 let me give you an example of what happened here in Kentucky. So people want to talk about issue two failing that in 2022, but or, or amendment two failing in 2022, but they don't want to talk about amendment one failing. And Amendment 1 was a uh, amendment to essentially make it to where the governor couldn't just call a special session anymore, but legislators could call themselves into a special session if they felt they needed to pass laws on an emergency basis. It limited those amount of laws, while it also took away uh, the need for a end date that they would be out of session, and instead they could vote every year on how late they want the session to run till. And there's a lot of reasons why I was not particularly for this. One of them being, and, and if you go back and listen to my podcast, you hear me detail some issues with it that were of concern. And one of them being, okay, you take away the date they got to be out. We essentially can make a full-time legislature. Right now, the legislature is required to be out at the end of March or midway through April, depending on if it's odd or even year or as such. And that would take that away. And an argument against that was, well, they get 30 legislative days. They get 60 on the longer days, 30 on the other days. And on, on uh, 60 on even years, 30 on uh, the odd years to do their legislative work. But even on the short years, if you take away that in and they're able to be in every month, well, now they can be in two, three days a month on the shorter years, five days a month on 
the longer years without the need to be out by a certain time, we have now given ourselves a full-time legislature or a legislature that can come in every month, essentially, for a few days and pass the laws and things that they need to. And individuals pointed to that and said, yeah, that's the point. You don't want all the power to be with the governor. But understand this, the governor can't make laws. The governor has to follow the laws set by the legislature. Now, it's the legislature's fault that they didn't hold Bashir accountable for when he broke the laws and giving them more power didn't make much sense to me. And what I mean is that power doesn't just exist with the governor or the legislature, and that's how it was depicted. Power also exists with citizens over their own lives. Until a law is made about something, you are free to do it. For an example, until a law is made saying you can't build and burn a fire in your backyard, you're legally allowed to build and burn a fire in your backyard until someone says otherwise. And so the legislature calling itself into session to make more laws wouldn't just suck away power from the governor, uh, quote unquote, power from the governor, though the governor themselves can't make more laws. It would also suck away freedoms and powers from the citizens. It would, it would not be that check. And I don't need to rehash Amendment 1 with a bunch of people. And I know uh, uh, people had varying opinions. Some people said, hey, look, a good check on the legislature. And, and you know, I, I saw that point, too, as well. There's a reason why I wasn't vocally against Amendment 1 in 2022. I could see it as good or as bad. But what bothered me the most about Amendment 1 is that this was a measure that Republicans were only supporting, or I believe they were only supporting it, because of the fact they had a Democrat governor and a uh, Republican legislature. And when asked the question, if the roles were reversed, if you had a Republican governor and a Democrat legislature, would you want that legislature to be able to call itself into session uh, and, and pass laws? And of course, the response was generally no. And that goes to an overarching point. We shouldn't be changing our state constitutions just because of who's currently in power. This is a permanent change. And so deciding to make a change like adding, making it a 60% threshold or deciding to make a change like uh, uh, allowing the legislature to call itself into session and no longer have dates to their, their legislative period either where they could be in session for the entire year Certainly, making those permanent changes in response to current political issues, that isn't the long game. That isn't anything other than uh, making permanent changes to a document that should be revered, our state constitutions. And so generally, I'm against it. But outside of the fact that I don't think looking at Amendment 2, Amendment 1 here in Kentucky, or Amendment uh, uh, issue one in Ohio as reasons to believe that abortion's a losing issue with Republicans. I don't think that's true. And also, too, going back to Amendment two in Kentucky, look at how it was marketed. I remember after Amendment two failed, uh, I sent out an email about how people were confused. They didn't understand. And people wrote back saying uh, that I was wrong and they expressed their opinions about it. And when I said, well, that's not what the amendment said. That's not what the, the amendment wasn't about banning abortions in case of life of a mother. The, the amendment wasn't about actually abortions in place or not. If the amendment to had passed here in Kentucky, the abortion amendment, all it stated was essentially that the laws of making abortion is up to the legislators, not up to the judiciary. And that legislators, the Democrats took power. They could allow abortion with this amendment passing. It was an abortion ban in the constitution. And, and 
you know, if they felt a certain way on abortion, they could then um, push their legislature on passing those laws. It didn't make it at all where you couldn't ever have abortion again in Kentucky, but that's how, of course, it was sold by the Democrats, and that's why people voted that way. And that goes into my point I started from the top, that the issue is not abortion. The issue is that Republicans can't message on it. Let's take a look at polling data. And when you take a look at polling data, what you see is more people agree with the Republican position that abortion is wrong and uh, generally speaking should only be used in case of life of the mother. That's what most Republicans believe compared to the Democrat position that you should allow abortion up until the minute of birth, which is essentially their stated positions because they don't believe in any regulations on abortion. So why do Republicans keep losing on the issues if more people agree with them? I think there's a few things why. First, you have a large group of Republican politicians who don't actually care about this issue. They've used the issue to run cover for their failures on policies for years. And they themselves don't have that big of a commitment to it in the first place. That your first uh, indication, this should be the fact that so many Republicans are willing to cut and run on the issue. If you believe abortion is murder, like I do, you don't cut and run on the issues. I think that these Republicans politicians were using abortion as a boogeyman to help them stay in power. And now that the boogeyman may be more of a political liability, they want to run from it because they never actually cared. But the media also doesn't treat the issue fairly and Republicans are unwilling to gaslight at all. And what I mean by that is, is they're not willing to be tactful. See, Republicans believe since they have the logical position and is if you take me and a super pro abortion right up till birth individual and you sit us down for several hours and you say, look, uh, you guys are going to talk about this issue. I have no doubt at the end of the day, while they may be stubborn and maybe they don't move or not, but coming out of that, they will have agreed and backed off their position of abortion until birth a lot more than... I, I guarantee you that I will back off my position that abortion is wrong other than case of life of the mother. And the reason why is because there's a logical conclusion to that. Now, there's no logical conclusion to say birth, uh, abortion, honestly, at any point for any reason other than life of the mother, because well, you have to now define why it is that this life at that point, you would say you pick the minute before it's born. Why is it that the minute before it's born, it can be killed or murdered? But the minute it's born, you can't. And you can back up that logic and force them to have to defend it. But I guess that's the point, is that Republicans don't know how to make people defend their points. But the Democrats are fantastic at this. Let me give you these examples. So this is a doctor testifying uh, in, in, in front of the legislature in D.C. Uh, about why she supports... Uh, abortion. And that's what she was testifying about. And she was asked the question of where do you draw the line? Do you believe in uh, abortion up until birth or not? And here is her answer. What you're trying to bring up is abortion care later in pregnancy. Um, and I understand people have very different opinions about what that looks like and how they feel comfortable regarding different um, gestational age limits. But I think talking about these hypothetical scenarios doesn't actually respect the pregnant people that I take care of every day that have 
varying circumstances. Um, and as a physician, I think the most prudent thing is to listen to their stories, assess their own medical risks, depending on where they are in pregnancy, and help them decide what's best for them. I think bans based on a gestational age, whatever that gestational age is, just create barriers to care and don't actually improve the safety of care, which is what I care about most for my patients. First, you'll notice, and if you're watching this in the video format, you would have noticed it. Video, uh, uh, Audio-only listeners wouldn't have noticed this, but she is reading off of a prepared answer in front of her. She has a, a notebook laid out with that answer. She knew that question was coming, and she was prepared for it. It's so weird when Republicans are asked, where do you draw the line, or do you believe in uh, abortion in case of rape or incest? Um, they struggle to answer that question like they're surprised by it. But you should never be surprised by it. You should have an answer. But look, they, they expertly danced around. They never gave a solid response, had a prepared statement, and they gaslight and ignore the question. The question was, outside of life of the mother, why would you allow an abortion at the moment before birth? Do you draw the line there? I said, well, I just, I don't think talking about that makes a lot of sense. Never answered the question, but danced around it. Let's listen here. That Now, this is a Republican Santorum was asked uh, by Pierce Morgan uh, about his position on abortion and listen to how uh, he responds to this. Their daughter saying, how can I deal with this? Because if I make her have this baby... Isn't it just going to ruin her life? Well, you can make the argument that uh, if she doesn't have this baby, if she, if she kills her child, that that too could ruin her life. And this is not an easy choice. I, I understand that. As horrible as, as horrible as the way that that daughter and son was created, it still is her child. And whether she has that child or she doesn't, it, it will always be her child, and she will always know that. And, and so to... to uh, to embrace her and to love her and to support her and get her through this very difficult time, I've always, you know, I, I, I believe and I think um, you know, the, the right approach is to, is to accept this horribly created in the sense of, of rape, but nevertheless gift in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very broken way, but gift of human life and accept what God is giving to you. As, as, as you know, we have to, in ev lots of different aspects of our life, we have horrible things happen. I can't think of anything more horrible, but nevertheless. And as you can hear there, old Santorum made the big mistake of actually answering the question, first off. And then second off, gives his response without bothering to appeal to the emotional and actually creates a uh, talking points for opponents. So what's the proper way to answer that question? Well, here's what I would say. I'd say, well, Pierce, because it's Pierce Morgan. Well, Pierce, I think you're asking the wrong question here. I mean, would you support killing a newborn baby if we found out it was conceived in a rape after it was born? I think most of us would say no. What, what about one minute before being born? What is the actual line there? Because that is what my Democrat opponents are supporting, killing babies up to birth, no matter the reason. I think every American needs to challenge themselves on this issue and not just take talking points from people like me, you, or even people who are farther left than you.
Instead, they need to ask themselves, where do I actually think a line should be drawn and ask themselves, why do they draw the line there? I think when we do that, the vast majority of Americans will agree with me that killing children up and until birth is wrong. Creating these different hypothetical situations does more than use rape and incest victims as political pawns. And then if they push a course and say, so do you believe in birth in case of rape or incest? Do you believe in this? You simply say, I refuse to use rape and incest victims as political pawns it is disrespectful and I will not engage in it. Now, will that infuriate the left? Of course it will. But what doesn't upset the left? But that kind of answer is exactly the kind of answer we need to be hearing from Republicans. And by the way, that response I just gave, that wasn't a politics-tested response. Those of you listening to it who say, wow, that was a great response to that question. I literally wrote that just a few minutes ago as I was preparing for this episode. It wasn't something that was tried out. They don't need these giant experts to tell them how to message on it because oftentimes they're staring at polling and saying, well, we just need to shy away from that. No, instead, we need to challenge people without creating the headlines because that's the real challenging. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine that is a reporter, political reporter. Um, well, friend, we're friendly and he'd called me up to ask me some questions uh, for an article he was doing and the subject of abortion came up. And I said um, that, you know, honestly, the media doesn't handle this fairly because we, they always ask Republicans, where do you draw the line? While they never ask Democrats, where do they draw the line? And this political reporter responded and he's, you know, uh, I went, he's definitely not a stalwart conservative. It wasn't like I was talking to a reporter for, you know, a conservative newspaper. And he said, you know what? That's fair. That's fair. And I, I mean, really that's what it comes down to because that's the challenge, right? The, 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 uh, them, the, the Democrats grabbing rape and incest is them using an emotional issue to justify their otherwise horrific policies that would be unconscionable to the average human. And so in turn, we Republicans have to point out about what they're doing. They're using a small amount of cases that isn't even a part of the larger debate we're having because, of course, Democrats don't actually want to draw the line there. If they actually wanted to have, draw the line there, then you could have a debate about that. But that's not what they're doing. And I think that's where overall Republicans have got to learn that even though we may be in the logical position that sometimes gaslighting or avoiding the question or making sure you're making an emotional appeal, just like the Democrats do, is how you can actually win on the issues. That's how you message. But if Republicans continue to be caught off guard and not expecting of exactly what the left is going to do, even though they've told us time and time again, abortion will continue to be a losing issue. Well, Hopkins County Public Schools, that's not Hopkinsville, that's Christian County, but Hopkins County Public Schools um, are not going back in until the 30th. We'll talk about why right after this. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. 
Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right. Hopkins County Public Schools. Uh, They kept moving back their start date. They are now moved back to the 30th. So originally they're supposed to go in uh, August 7th to start schools, and now they've pushed back to August 30th. Why? Well, because they have a new elementary school that is being built, and surprise, surprise, it isn't finished yet, and so none of the schools can go back. So this uh, construction project was being done by A&K Construction, and it was projected to be done much earlier, um, but they say due to weather, they've had to keep pushing it back. Originally, it was the 7th. They then a few weeks ago, I had to move it to the 30th because teachers hadn't started to even move in to the schools yet. Now, anyone who works in the construction industry can testify to this. Blaming the weather is a really, really convenient excuse in the construction industry. Um, It is the go-to, in fact. And if you're a homeowner who's ever had to deal with remodeling or construction companies, uh, they will blame the weather as if it's suddenly now a torrential year of massive rain. In fact, when we look at rainfall trends here in Kentucky, Bowling Green, as of early June, had seen a negative 1.17 inches of rainfall deficit compared to its average year. They're actually worried about drought conditions. And then as you move into um, July in Kentucky, while we did see some historic rainfalls as far as a one-day amount or two-days amount in that area, Mayfield, of course, July 18th through 19th, um, had a possibly record-breaking 24-hour rainfall period. But when you look at overall rainfall for the area, you do not see a massive change. Uh, In fact, you're seeing uh, about the same, maybe slightly more, but it certainly isn't a historically wetter summer overall, according to current data. So, of course, blaming the weather is a go-to for a lot of these districts, but of course, this also goes into poor planning. I mean, you have an entire district waiting to go back to school because one elementary school is not hitting its deadlines. Now, will this mean that A&K construction uh, doesn't see another win of a, a contract across the state? Nope. They probably will continue to receive construction contracts. After all, the owners of A&K have done a good job to make sure they make their uh, political contributions. When Democrats were in office, they gave thousands of dollars to Democrats. And with Republicans in office, they've given thousands of dollars to Republicans. In fact, when you look at their contribution history, it is long and it is uh, pretty large. Um, as far as who they give money to. So no, they will probably continue to receive contracts. Though this does deal with an overall trend we've been seeing in Kentucky when it comes to our public schools, and that is their desire to constantly increase their facilities. 
I mean, here in Fayette County, we have our schools buying up massive amounts of property downtown and all over. In fact, you may remember a few months ago, they came under fire for spending almost five times more than what a property was assessed at. They spent $10 million on a property that was assessed at $2.8 million. Now, of course, um, that wasn't actually them overspending, but rather it was a uh, political favor that the property value assessors have been doing to the uh, owner of that before they purchased it to undervalue the property in order to save them money on their taxes, uh, something we actually talked about on the podcast at the time. And you can go back and listen to that episode. I don't know what it's called, but I'm sure I mentioned it in the uh, description of the podcast. But anyway, so you have these school districts that are just buying up these properties, massively growing, um, and and creating more and more facilities. And I think a large part of that has to do with uh, a sense of power, a sense of feeling special. I think a chunk of that has to do with, you know, when we talked about the JCPS issues over the last several days, we talked about their resistance to splitting up the district because that means you'd be splitting up their power. And I think for these school districts, it's much the same way. They want to deliver the nicest facilities in there. One, it leads, of course, to their reelection and them continuing to stay in. But two, having that nice facility that they can say they're in charge of or over makes them feel good. It makes them feel important. And this is a common trait we see from politicians all the time of constantly wanting to create more commissions, more committees, more laws, more buildings, more facilities, more area they have control over uh, because it makes them feel better. Now, I'm not going to claim that this Hopkins County Elementary School that's holding everybody up wasn't needed. I don't know. I don't live in the county. People who do live in Hopkins County, feel free to reach out to the show. You can email at info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com, or you can message uh, Andrew Cooperider the page. Don't message me personally. I won't get it. I, my, my personal page is pretty private. Um, but my public page, you can message that if you believe the school wasn't needed or was. Um, but regardless, we've seen this trend from public schools as well. Now, another reason might be because they're defending against school choice. And I'm not going to claim that this is a sat down necessarily decision-making process, but it could be. And what do I mean by that? Well, one of the things that charter schools have to have, and of course, school choice schools, if they're to come in and if we can get a constitutional amendment passed in Kentucky is proper facilities, proper property, proper buildings in order to have the students. And if the public schools can own all the proper facilities and buildings in the area, it means that these charter schools, that these possible private schools that would come in and benefit from a school choice amendment being passed and then funded, it would mean that they uh, have to now build a facility. They can't just buy one. And that might be a limiter in helping push out that competition, a defense against it. Uh, this isn't just me speculating. We have seen this tactic in several schools and school districts. Certainly, we've seen districts all across the country in school choice states, especially holding on to empty school bu buildings and then refusing to sell them to charter schools that want to take them over because they don't want the competition because they know that means their power will be sucked away. So what we see time and time again is these schools making these decisions about facilities that have to deal with their power and them feeling good. 
I know that I hope Hopkins County schools can get back to start. It doesn't, based upon the constant moving of start date, it doesn't look good. And it certainly seems that this will continue to be an ongoing problem, but we do hope it stops. But speaking of schools, JCPS has issued an update to their school situation, Jefferson County Public Schools. We'll have that right after this. JCPS. Remember, the canceled schools Thursday, Friday, promised to have a solution by Saturday. Saturday, they then say, look, our solution is you're not going back to school Monday, Tuesday. And then yesterday, Monday, they come out and they say, we're going to come back, but only elementary, middle school Friday, and then high schools on Monday, next Monday. Now, now that sports betting is legal in Kentucky, can I legally gamble on the fact of whether or not high school will actually be brought back on Monday? Because I think the money, good money, would say that they're not coming back. That would be a bet I would certainly take. But let's reflect on the issues, okay? Let's, let's go over this again so everybody understands the full story. So bus drivers start quitting last year because the schools care more about a 12-year-old being their true self and feeling reinforced in their identities. And they care about dis disciplining them and getting them to behave. So school bus drivers start quitting because, well, they just can't handle it anymore. So they decide this year they're going to bring in new school start times, which only further complicates the force busing scheme they already have going on. And they have all these different bus, these start times, but just because two kids live next to each other doesn't mean they go to the same school. Two kids could live next to each other, but they then go to massively different schools that could have different start time. So the same bus picking them up doesn't make a lot of sense because they'll end up sitting somewhere on a bus for an amount of time, I guess. And so instead, uh, you have buses driving over each other's routes, so on and so forth. And of course, this bus equiting scheme is just done to secure failing. You see, if they allowed kids to go to the schools in their districts, we'd see uh, schools that uh, are awful and failing. And then we'd see other schools that are succeeding massively, despite the fact they're receiving the same amount of funding. Because once again, money isn't the problem. It's a parental issue mixed with a culture issue. That would mean that some schools would be failing and they can't have that. So to look good on paper, to make sure there are no child left behind, their funding stays intact, they decided to mix what would be the bad performing kids and the good performing kids together enough that all schools have as even as they can school rating where they don't have to worry about coming to public, uh, the public's attention, just how badly they fail when you see one school where nobody can read or do math. So instead, they split them up. Now, of course, this forced busing equity scheme in order to maintain their funding causes them to now have to use a new AI system to create routes to make the multiple start times, the shortage of bus drivers, and the fact that they force bus all across the city to work 
And this new AI system comes up with these routes. They paid over 300K for it. And the routes it came up with, they never bothered to test it. They never bothered to run buses on. They never bothered to figure out whether or not it worked. And the result was on the first day, kids not getting home till 10 p.m. So they shut down the schools now for six days and are trying to bring back elementary and middle this Friday. But don't worry, they're also going to offer an app. So you can track your kid's bus because, you know, technology got us into this. Technology will get us out. Of course, that assumes your child, if you live in Jefferson County, will actually end up on the bus. Um, so I guess tracking the bus doesn't matter that much. And of course, blame abounds because ideas have been floated. Break up the district. School choice, of course, as we talked about in the last segment. Firing the superintendent. Looking at how do we create a solution that doesn't involve this forced busing. Looking at kids going to the schools closest to them so bus routes can be short and simple. But this doesn't work for JCPS. So instead, members of the community, JCPS, and their leftist allies have come to their aid by throwing out uh, all kinds of different defenses. In fact, just take a look at this opinion article from the Courier-Journal. It's titled, Kentucky Legislature Must Take Responsibility for Their Part in the JCPS Bus Debacle. Now, if you're like me, you're asking, well, last I checked, uh, the legislature doesn't drive the buses. The legislature didn't make the decisions on the routes. The legislature really doesn't do much at all. Of course, another claim was that these rural legislators are trying to control the district, ignoring the fact that the open letter that I covered on Monday that was from the legislators were, was signed by legislators who represent Louisville, not rural legislators. But anyways... The claim is, is that somehow it is the legislature's fault because they don't because they don't give them enough money. Ignoring the fact that Jefferson County Public Schools right now spends $19,000 a year per student, there is somehow a belief that if we just gave them more money, they could get the busing figured out. Question is, is $19,000 not enough to get it done? All other school districts seem to, while they struggled with bus drivers, be able to get it done. But the main point of the article is this, is that the legislature has shirked their transportation funding responsibilities since 2005. So the author of the article points out that in 2005, a law was passed to say that the legislature uh, should fund 100% of busing costs. And then he goes on to say uh, that, hey, um, the the legislature is uh, not following the law illegally, has not been funding buses 100% like they're legally supposed to. That is from the article. They are legally supposed to. Now, of course, that is nonsensical. What do I mean by that? Legislators don't have to follow the law as they make new laws. This is what makes me laugh when, when people claim that we just need to pass a law to get legislators to not do this or that while they're making laws. That is, doesn't make any sense. If you want to control what the legislature does, you have to pass a constitutional amendment. Because simply put, when legislators make a law or their funding budget, which is a law that is passed, they can write in there and we're just going to ignore this law. And they can do that because they made the law in the first place. The only thing you have to follow when making laws, once again, is the state constitution. 
So first, his argument is nonsensical. But what are the facts here? Well, the facts is, is that it's not that they haven't been funding the schools. What they haven't been doing is earmarking their increased funding specifically for busing. What they've been doing is just giving large pots of money to the schools to spend as they wish. We hear this when they chant that teachers need a raise. And the response from the legislature is we gave the schools more money. It's up to them to decide what they do with it. If you want to raise, go talk to your school board. We just gave them thousands upon thousands upon millions of dollars more in funding. They could afford to give you a raise if they choose to do that and spend the money on. But However, that isn't what the schools have decided to spend their money on. Instead, they spend it on things like new school construction that doesn't get done or new fancy routing apps that don't get it handled or a $75,000 raise to the county's superintendent like JCPS has done. But also there's a giant hole in this argument that it's the legislator's fault because they haven't been funding enough since 2005. Well, how have you been getting it done since then? You didn't start to fail this badly till this year. Now I'm no mathematician. Obviously, if you listen to this show, you know I've gotten my math wrong from time to time. But it's been about, I don't know, 18 years since then. And yet, they just managed to fail this year. And also, how have the other schools got this done and they haven't brought this up? I mean, they haven't messed up this badly, despite supposedly being in the same boat. And once again, it ignores, that argument ignores the fact that JCPS is already spending $19,000 per student. How much do they re need? I mean, I ask you, will JCPS say a number? What do you need per student in order to make sure that they get to school and get educated? Next time you hear leftists or, or a Democrat arguing that the schools need more money, ask how much. Ask what is the number in order to make sure kids go to school, they learn to read, they learn to write, they learn how to do math, and then they get home. What is the number you need to make that happen? They don't know they don't know the number. All they know is they need more. Because, of course, that's how Democrats solve all their problems. They just throw more and more money at it. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining us. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Have a great rest of your day.